So uh, we're going to continue with our series on Esther, and today we're going to study chapter 5. So Esther 5, but before we get there, let me I just uh, get us on the speed there. Uh, last week, Pastor John encouraged us to focus not so much on the well-known phrase for such a time as this, but on who knows, and who knows? God knows, right? We saw that Esther is an, in a huge dilemma, whether to ident identify herself as a Jew or not, as part of the chosen people of God, or, or continue living as a pagan. Esther then, for the first time, identifies as part of God's people and commands for all the Jews living in Susa to join with her in fast for three days. We saw that because God has identified with us, we are called to identify with his people. Today, as we continue, we'll go over chapter 5, as I mentioned. And as we study this chapter, I would like us to focus on the contrast between a more committed Esther to the one that uh, now ident identifies as part of God's people and Haman, who we continue to know as a selfish and self-centered man. So let's read Esther chapter 5 in your uh, Bibles there in the pews 413, or you can look, follow in the, on the screen. On the third day, Esther put on the, her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite to the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in her court, she won favor, she won favor in his sight and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is it, your quest? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for you, the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is it you wish? It shall be granted to you. And what is it your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if you have found favor in my sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Seresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, 
all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by, the, by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Serge and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows 50, 50 cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged up on it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Let's pray. Father, be with us as we study your word. Speak to our hearts, to our minds, Father. Touch my lips that I can present your word clearly. And Father, help us to respond according to what you require from us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, one time I heard someone say, I say big and you say small. If I say black, you say white. You want to you wanna try it with me? Okay. If I say tall, you say? Sure. If I say good, you say? Yeah. If I say, I mean, big? Small. If I say black? Right. If I say God? Okay, nice try. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. <laughs> we may think that the opposite of God is Satan. But there's no one equal. Even on the opposite side, there's no one like God. No one like that, even in the opposite side. So, yeah, we might think that Satan is the opposite of God. But no, Satan was created a being. God was never made. He was and is and always will be God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That was, that, that's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says. Many times, I mean, shorter catechism, sorry. <laughs> Many times we fall in the same trap. We easily forget who is God. All his power, wisdom, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth that he has everything in his power and in his control. We see, as we mentioned before, the fight between good and evil. Remember, so many things happening. And we think, it's, oh, yeah, this Haman, he's so mean. He's, but obviously, Satan is there. And oh, Satan has power. And as we said, he, he will never and has never had the power of God. But he has certain power, but he's going to try to destroy the God's plan. He's trying to get rid of the seed that is going to bring salvation. And we've seen this throughout our story. But we know that God is in power and control. So uh, as we mentioned from last week, being confronted by her cousin Mordecai, she realizes her identity as part of God's people. But she also understands the risk that such an identity will demand. As she said at the end of verse 16 of chapter 4, then, remember, then I will go to the king 
though it is against the law, she knows that it's against the law to present herself before the king without an invitation. And what is the punishment? She's going to be, she might be decapitated. So that's why she says, and if I perish, I perish. She knows that she could die. She could have op opted out to say, you know what? I'm I going to stay as I am, a queen. I'm comfortable here. Everybody's paying attention to me, having this nice uh, uh, cow or uh, goat's baths, no? goat's milk bags, baths, and I mean, you know, just enjoy life here. I'm a queen, and I may not even be identified as a Jew. She may have thought, hopefully Mordecai is wrong, and they will not find, find out about me, and I'll be safe. But Esther, moved by the Holy Spirit, decides to stand in the gap and go before the king, even if it means for her to lose her life. We'll see what is the force that helps her do that. But as we saw last week, she identifies as part of the people of God, as God has sent his son to stand in the gap and identified with us in every single way. Esther approaches the king and she is received only because God intervenes. Because Christ has not only risked but given his life, we can approach the eternal king. And that is our main point for this morning. Because Christ has given his life, we can approach the eternal king. And there's going to be three ways that we do it. In humility, in obedience, and for God's glory. We do it in humility, in obedience, and for God's glory. So first, in humility. The first phrase in this verse, in verse 1 of chapter 5, it starts saying, on the third day. And we might think, okay, third day, Sunday, Monday, also Tuesday. But it's not talking about that. The, if you see the context, it's talking about the third day of fasting. So they've been fasting for three days, and this is, this is her, her key or, or cue. Come on, Esther, come in here. This is the third day. Go in. So um, here is not, uh, yeah, so it's more of the third day of fasting. And as we saw last week, what is fasting echoes from the prophet Joel. Remember, we read from Joel, rend your heart and not your garments. Repent from your, from your wrongdoing. It is not the repentance, but the inside of you. I'm, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not the appearance. That's why it's saying it's not your, your garments, but your heart, the inside of you. It's what it's need needed to be changed. As we have already seen in both of our characters, Mordecai refused to obey the king by not bowing to Haman. Esther was going incognito without identifying herself as part of God's people. That is what we initially see. These are two heroes. Now imagine the rest of the Jews. I mean, they, they have been living in, the, in this Persian empire and uh, Persian influence. So, of course, they have given over to adopting the culture and customs, forgetting about the God of their fathers. It is now time to come in repentance, fasting, praying, and seeking for God's pity and mercy. 
Uh, about fasting, some commentators say that the descriptive phrase for fast is to, to deny oneself or humble oneself. And that is exactly what is Esther is doing while recognizing such a big challenge that she will be facing, she realizes that she does not have the strength or control. She cannot do anything but totally humbles herself. She is confessing her sin and submitting to the Lord's will. And as she said, if I perish, I perish. There is nothing in her hands that she can bring to make it happen. It is not her beauty or her agreeable and charismatic way as we have seen with Haggai the eunuch, or even the king, remember? That she found favor in the eunuch, so he's like, no, 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 do this. No, 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 I recommend you to do this. No, Esther, listen, here, go there. And then she wins favor with him, and not only that, but before the king, when, when she goes before the king, she knows what to do, how to present herself, what to request or what not to request, and the king is like, wow. This is the one that I want, right? So he, he is moved by that. But she's finding favor because of her looks and everything. But, but it's finally and definitely up to the Lord that is giving, him, giving her grace before others. And who can grant her grace before the Persian king in this special time. If we remember also Jonah, when he gets to Nineveh, uh, Je Jonah is sent to preach to Nineveh. And remember, he goes and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to take a trip far away from, from, from Nineveh. And the Lord, you know that story, right? Most of us. Well, he goes into this, this uh, boat and then they have some uh, problems and the weather is awfully bad. And then they're like, oh, well, what's happening? And then they find out that, that Jonah is going against God's will. So, and he says, yeah, I confess it's me. So they throw him, and then a big fish comes and bloop, swallows him for three days, and then bloop, throws him up after uh, Jonah is repented. So, uh, so now he goes to Nineveh. Okay, Lord, I understand. Goes, preaches, and says, like, in 40 days, if you don't repent, you're dead. But Jonah, you know, he is an interesting character. He's like, hopefully they don't repent so I can see God's rat on them. But, but they repent, and then Jonah is like, oh, God, what happened? But anyway, but they, the point is that they really, they really repent. Listen to what it says. Um, it says, uh, so the people of Nineveh believed. This is from, from Jonah uh, for a uh, belief. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed fa a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. And as we know, God showed mercy to them. The similar way Esther is inviting all the Jews, inviting all the Jews to fast and pray and show repent repentance from their sins. How many times have you prayed today? You don't have to answer. Don't lift up your hands or just inside of you, okay? How many times have you prayed today? How many times have you prayed this past week? Well, okay, hopefully many times. How many times have you fasted during this week? Uh-oh. Okay. Okay, how about this last month or for the last months, two, three months? How about last year? How about last year's? Okay, here not 
we're not here to judge anyone, right? But we see that prayer is essential and necessary to enjoy a closer re relationship with God. There are many verses in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament where we are called to pray in every situation, Philippians 4, 6, without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, without giving up, Luke 18, 1, etc. Right? Many, many verses that talk about prayer. Matthew 6, 5, 15 says, and when you pray, and when you pray, it's expected us for, you, for us to pray. And when you pray, the Lord Jesus is saying, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words do not be like them for your father's know your father knows what you need before you ask him pray like this our father who art in heaven and we we just prayed this morning so that's jesus teaching how to pray now he continues saying on on the chapter he's saying even though it's not a direct command again from the lord but he's saying when you fast so he's, he's not, you know, hey, you better fast or, no, he's saying, hey, and same as when you pray, same as when you fast. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your fa face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the recommendation is not to go like, oh, oh yeah, I, no, don't, don't push me too hard because I'm fasting and I might fall down. And oh, look at me. I'm, no, it's like, take a shower, man, and smell good and be strong. And yeah, you're fasting, but it, it's just between you and the Lord. And don't show off. Don't, don't oh, yeah, I've been fasting for almost three, three hours. Ah, I'm keep going. I'm, I have to keep going. No, no, the Lord does, doesn't want that from us, but it's, it's looking that. Let's see. Uh, it is expected from us to pray as well as to, to fast. The Lord Jesus fasted for 40 days when he was tempted in the desert, remember? The book of Acts records believers fasting before they made important decisions. They were about to make important decisions, whether to choose a, a new um, apostle or other, other different things. That's in Acts 13.2 or 14.23. It allows us to take our eyes off the things of this world so we can more successfully turn our attention to God. That is, that is uh, the main objective of, of fasting. As we saw, repent, repentance, fasting, and prayer are often linked together. Luke 2.37 and, and 5.33, when fasting, we recognize our fallen condition our great need of him, and that without him, we cannot do anything. We repent from our sin and come to him. And if we can't see our faults, we ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those to us so we can confess our sin and repent. We need to remember that it is not by works so no one can boast. There are many ways of fasting, not only food or water, but for some 
something that is taking our attention from, from prayer, from reading his word, from connecting with him. Maybe fasting from, from our phones. It's hard. I mean, and you may say, well, I need it for, to work and everything. Yeah, but sometimes, I mean, YouTube video, eh, not doing anything, let's see. And then that YouTube video takes you to another one, another one, another one. Wow, it's late. I need to, right? I mean, it, it takes us out of guard. So maybe uh, uh, fasting from TV, from, from our phones, from TV, from Netflix, from our computers, from social media, etc. Please, don't quickly dismiss this with many excuses we tend to put. Oh, no, no, you know, if, if I don't eat for, for one meal, I don't know what, what might happen to me, you know? I mean, I, I've never done it, and <laughs> it's not for me, sorry. Well, just try it. Pray about it. And again, what is the objective? So pray. Ask the Lord how you can take his word seriously and seek him in some type of fast. It's not a formula. It's a special time for you to be with the Lord and depend on him. And as Pastor Bindewell preached two weeks ago, it's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. We could have a separate study about fasting and prayer. I mean, like, it's, there's so much in the Bible about it. But what is shown here is the necessity of humbling oneself and depending on God. We recognize that even the dis discipline of prayer and fasting will not grant us anything but it, is, but it is a constant reminder of how frail and limited we are. That we don't deserve anything, as Esther said. If I perish, I perish. I know my condition. I could die. It's not up to me. We have seen and deserve eternal damnation. Fasting is a way that we seek to con connect to God through Christ so we can be sensitive to his word and do his will. And that takes us to the second point. We approach the king in obedience. Once the, the third day comes, Esther takes action. She puts on her royal garments and goes to the king. She is risking everything, but it is now the time. The chosen people of God are with her in fasting and prayer, and she is depending only on what God wants to reveal. The king sees her and lets her into his court. God has granted grace in her sight, in the sight of the king. So, so far we know that King Assyrus is an inconsistent man, led by his emotions, easily persuaded by his counselors, and not very consistent in his position. So we can expect anything from him. But good thing, he's not in control. God is in control. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Esther, trusting God's leading, she approaches the throne and follows the protocol, touching the golden scepter offered to her by the king. And the king follows with a question. What is it, Queen Esther? What is it your request? It shall be given to you even to half of my kingdom. Even to half of my kingdom. So various commentators observe that the king is not actually offering literally the half of his kingdom. But it was more like an exaggeration of words, meaning 
your desire is my, my will, right? Your wish is my will. I want to I wanna please you. Tell me, what's your request? Now I, nowadays, it could be like saying, let us know if we can help you with anything, or let me know if I can help you with anything. With anything? Well, don't ask me that because I may respond, sure, pay my bills, cook, f cook for me tonight, take me shopping and pay the bills, and clean my entire house, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't really, really mean it, but it's, it's something that we, we say. It's like saying, mi casa es su casa. You know that phrase, no? Mi casa es su casa, my house is your house. Is it? Okay. Give me the keys and the title right now. Sign it for me and, and I'll be happy. Well, we get the idea. It's just an exaggeration, exaggeration but it's our willingness to, to serve the other person. And that's how King Asuras is, is feeling about Esther. But to have such a response from the king, we can get that he's impressed by her and his desire is to please her. Again, Esther in humility says, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. It's important to notice that the feast has been already prepared. She's ready. She's ready. Even though Esther does not know the outcome of her encounter with the king, I mean, she could die, she believes that God is present. And whether she lives or dies, God will do his will. So she's ready in case she lives, to continue with the plan. That's faith. That's huge faith. Asuerus hurries and sends for Haman so that they can do as Esther requests. The king is intrigued about Esther's request, so he does not want to wait a bit longer. Bring Haman. Come on, where's Haman? Bring him right now, quickly. Again, what we know of him and Haman is that their impulsivity and their self-centered focus is quite large, right? They're very, very uh, selfish. In contrast, Esther could actually have responded when asked by the king, what is that you want? Okay, she could have given her plea immediately, but she waits, and not only until the end of the banquet, but builds even more suspense by inviting both the king and Haman to a second feast. We can imagine the king by then is hang, hanging by, by a fine thread. He's actually closer to give, to truly give her up half of, of, the, of his kingdom. No? He's so, come on, I need to know, I need to know. You know, Esther, go ahead, take half of my kingdom. I mean, he's about to say that because he's just like, I want to know, it's me. Only to satisfy his curiosity and know what Esther actually wants. While Esther is actively waiting patiently on the Lord. She's actively, and wait, she's actively and patiently waiting on the Lord, right? How many times have we made the wrong decision because we act impulsive, impulsively or many times too confident about, about ourselves or experience that we don't even think that this thing is worth praying for? Maybe something too little to ask of the Lord, or we take way too much time in trying to decide that we are frozen, not trusting, and then lose the opportunity to see God's hand working. I think Esther is the perfect example of actively and patiently waiting on the Lord. Actively 
but patiently, right? Actively, but patiently. Acting, but just waiting on the Lord and see what he's, he's, where he's leading to. On the other hand, she's acting, approaching the king, planning the perfect strategy, working on the banquet, etc. And on the other hand, not rushing into what she really is interested in, pleading with the king for her life and her people's life, lives. As she is led by the spirit, she continues humbly acting without freezing nor rushing. Esther is holding on to God's promises for his people. We have those same promises. And even more, we have seen the fulfillment in Christ. The same way we can fully trust in him for everything and anything. Without exaggeration. Nothing that we do, absolutely nothing, is out of his power or control. So we seek to do his will in our daily decisions. Whether big or small, actively waiting actively and patiently waiting on him. What could be the worst thing happening to us? Well, Queen Esther was ready even to die. It is like she, she knows what Paul reminds us. It's like, like, like she's trusting on what Paul, obviously Paul <laughs> is not going to come, but for uh, many hundred years later, but it's like if, if she's hearing him, we are his, Paul says, we are his, and he is ours. Romans 14, 8 says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Also, Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, according to his purpose. So this takes us to the last point. What is his purpose? We approach the king for his glory. In verse 9, it says that after the feast, Haman is coming out of the place joyfully and glad of heart, as he was the only one invited by the king and queen to the feast with them. He is the man. He's the big shot. He is the best. He's feeling, oh, man. This is my day. <laughs> Yoo-hoo. Nothing can bring him down from his mountain top, right? Except hey, Mordecai, who is in the king's gate and says that he neither rose nor trembled before him. He was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Again, Mordecai is not paying any tribute to Haman. He does not even tremble. Doesn't this Jew know, and this is what, what Haman must be thinking, doesn't this Jew know what I have the power to destroy him and his whole race? Can't he even see the royal ring I'm caring to do as I please? What's wrong with this fool? Ugh! Can you imagine, like, he's up here, and suddenly he's even higher, but he's raging. Man, poor guy. <laughs> But, thankfully, he restrains himself and goes home, thinking of the only thing that can bring him back his joy is to show off. Why not? Why not? Let's talk about me. All that he has done and, and how super special person, person he is, etc. So he summons, he brings his friends and his wife. Wife, come. 
I need to talk to all of you, right? And he starts boasting about all his riches. And I mean, these are his friends. They know him, right? They, they know him. His wife obviously knows him. So he starts boasting about his riches and how many sons he has, his promotions, and that he is above all the king's subjects. Even Queen Esther prepared a banquet for me. Ah, oh, yeah, and the king too, but, but for me. And we'll do the same tomorrow. How great I am. But yet all this is worth nothing to me. So long as I see Mordecai at the, at the king's gate. So again, he's trying to, to lift up his spirit. And ah, yeah, yeah, I'm so good. I'm, so, I'm the best. I'm so perfect. And then he thinks of Mordecai again. And, and he goes back again. All the way down. All his joy and all his riches, all his honors and glory are nothing when he comes to see the Jew who does not recognize his position nor his glory. Jeez. After this, he realizes that nothing satisfies him. If that Mordecai is around. Because apparently, he's the only one that is not giving him the honor and glory that he deserves. Once his wife, Serge, confirms the number of children they have, you know, like she's hearing and he's boasting about, oh, we have so many children. And Serge is like, I mean, I mean, I gave them birth, so obviously I know how many children we have. And the friends are there. Obviously, they know about the, how many children we have. But he has, he has to, to let this clear how many children they have. Anyway, uh, Serge comes up with a plan, telling him to build a 50, cubit, uh, 50 cubits high gallows and tell the king, tell the king, so it's a huge, huge um, rod made out of wood that it's 50 cubes. And we're going to talk about, a little bit about that. But then she's like, and tell the king, not request the queen, king or, or ask him. No, no, just tell the king to have Mordecai hang up on it. I mean, you're, pff, now you're the, pff, a big shot. So you should tell the king to, to kill Mordecai. Whoa, that's a great plan, he thinks. Once he's done hanging Mordecai, then he will be happy at the banquet. So Haman is pleased with the plan and has the gallows made. 50 cubits are about 75 feet. Now, some commentators said oh, they're exaggerated or not. But the plan is for, for Mordecai to be hanging and to be up there publicly humiliated in execution up there, publicly humiliated in execution. His rage is so big that he cannot wait until he marked the time, until the marked time when all the Jews shall die. No, he needs, needs things to be done right now so he can be joyful again. Well, that is until someone else decides not to give him glory, honor, or respect, right? So it's not Mordecai, but if someone else decides, oh, this guy is full of himself. I'm not going to praise him or bow to him. Then, poor Haman, he's going to have the same problem again and again and again. Well, if you remember in Daniel chapters 1 through 4, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar was an instrument of God's judgment against Judah for its idolatry. Nebuchadnezzar sends Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
to the blazing furnace for not bowing down to his image, and God protects them. Nebuchadnezzar recognizes God's power and protection. Later on, he becomes arrogant and does not want to recognize that all his power, wealth, and influence were from God. So God humbles him by making him lose his mind and feed on grass and live like a wild beast for seven years. Imagine seven years of living like an animal, being the king, being so powerful and thinking of himself, similar to, to what Haman is going through. And then God humbles him. Then, in Daniel 4, 34 says, at the end of the, of the I'm sorry, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. He is recognizing the Lord. Too bad Haman never recognized the Lord. And we'll see what happens to him. But here, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's from, well, he's first here. Then God is using him. So he's like, ah, oh, honoring God. But then, oh, honor me. And then comes back down. And again, after seven years of suffering, then he realizes who God is, giving him all glory, dominion, and honor to God. So many times we act like Haman, expecting, if not everybody, but many to honor us and recognize us. Maybe not to that extent, right? But at least to say, hey, man, well done. Oh, you did great. There's nothing wrong about receiving honor or recognition. But when we are expecting it or working or doing different things just to receive that honor, that's when, when that can become uh, tricky. For we think we are not just our position, but possessions, or maybe even our spirituality. But if we do not recognize that all we have and all we are is thanks to God, we might lose everything. It is not about us. It's about Him. He deserves all glory. Thank you, Rolling Stones, for reminding us in their song, I can have no satisfaction, right? That's great. As much as we try and we try and we try, we cannot get satisfaction. That is exactly what is happening with Haman. Out of God, he cannot, nor will ever, ever, ever find satisfaction. The true satisfaction and the true joy comes only from God. What is man's chief end according to Westminster Catechism? Man's chief end is to glorify and to enjoy him. Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Do you want to have satisfaction? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Or as John Piper says, glorify God by enjoying him forever. He says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. How are we supposed to do that? It is so difficult, just like Haman. 
having everything. But every time he looks at Mordecai, he realizes that he does not have everything. He thinks he deserves more. Even Mordecai, Mordecai's praise and respect. When we realize that we deserve eternal death and damnation because of our sin. As Romans says in Romans 3.23, states for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is when we understand that we need a Savior, someone that stands in the gap, someone that is ready to give his life to pay for my sins. God says, ask me anything. I will give you not only half of my kingdom, but my whole kingdom. And this is not an exaggeration. He has already given the most precious thing he could have ever given, his son. What else would he not give us? He sent his son to be hung on, on a tree, receiving public humiliation and execution so that we can live. What else would not he give us? What else would he not give us? He has saved us from eternal damnation, preparing a place for us in his kingdom. What else would he not give us? If you are here today and cannot say you believe in God and that his son Jesus has done all of these things for you, I invite you to pray to him, repent from your sins, and receive salvation from what Christ has done for you and glorifying him, glorify him, finding total satisfaction in him. Look up, look up, just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. Look up, raise your, your eyes and say, Father, you are the most powerful. You, you deserve all glory, honor, and power. So it's about him. It's not about you. If you have already done that, I invite you to fast, maybe food or something else that is distracting you from coming in humility closer to God. Repent, fast, and pray. Then trusting in him, act, waiting patiently on him. And then everything you do, do it for, you, for his glory as you enjoy him forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for these two examples. One, seeking your will, waiting patiently on you. And the other one, just being drifted apart for his own selfishness. And uh, Father, uh, we pray that, that you would help us to be guided by your spirit, Father. We pray that you would help us to seek your will in our lives, being humble, being in obedience, and to do everything. For your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's close in song.